Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. This is the time of year when typically our thoughts turn to the needs of others. This is when we tend to look at giving, at volunteering, at offering a piece of our privileges to those without. But of course, 2020 is not typical. It's imposed a financial hardship on many people or imposed a kind of emotional strain to take our attention away from the larger picture of necessary care for each other. New research from Imagine Canada suggests that only half of us in British Columbia will be donating money over the holiday season. Only 7% of us plan on volunteering. Those numbers are dramatic declines. My guest today, I hope, will provide some insights into this and perhaps even encourage a little bit of a rejuvenation of our generosity and our giving sense. Bruce McDonald is the president and the CEO of Imagine Canada, and Kevin McCourt is the president and CEO of the Vancouver Foundation. Good to have you with us. Glad to be here. Kevin, you know, I remember talking to you shortly after we uh, were clouded by the pandemic, and, and it appeared as if people had initially stepped up with support. So what's happened along the way? Yeah, back in um, in March and April, when it was clear that a lot of social service charities were seeing a significant increase in demand for services and a simultaneous drop off of income and saw the same in the arts and culture sector where income had really dropped. Uh, we did have a, a really strong um, response from from people, the Vancouver Foundation itself, uh, United Way, Van City, a number of private foundations, uh, companies across the province contributed several million dollars to our response fund. Mm. And that money was uh, really well-timed. It was into the charitable sector before many of the federal uh, programs launched. So we were able to, thanks to a very strong response in March and April, support the sector through the summer. And as the federal supports came in, the wage subsidy and the rent relief programs, some of the pressure came off of, of the charities, but, they're um, so they're starting to see now trying in December to make up for lost ground. There's some again some some good support coming from people for charities in December, but there was a long period then they're trying to make up for a very significant decline over the course of the year. Yeah, Bruce, one of the most surprising parts of your research seemed to be that only seven percent are going to be volunteering. Seven percent, you know, normally it's four times that. Uh, is it? How much of that has to do with the fact that people can't? as easily volunteer in person right now? Well, I think that's the primary contributor. And so if people are just staying home in general, if the kinds of service experience that they would have normally been participating in aren't taking place, uh, and even with organizations who now have to have PPE for um, their volunteers, it's an entirely different experience. And don't forget many of our volunteers in this country are older adults who are most susceptible, uh, most vulnerable to the virus itself. So it's it's had quite a significant effect on people's ability to engage. Though we have seen some organizations who are, you know, converting their volunteer experiences online. Yeah. I don't want to uh, go back too much and revisit the We Charity issue out there, but one of the one of the virtues inside that program was the idea that younger people were going to move much more uh, into the volunteer sector of our society and all that. It, uh, what, what has happened in the course of the year in terms of trying to bring younger people in so that when we come to times like this, we don't have an older cohort uh, carrying it all? 
Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I think that our society in general is trying to figure out new pathways, new pathways to engage donors, new pathways to engage citizens as participants in causes, whether they're registered charities, whether they're social enterprises or nonprofit organizations. It's trying to find new ways to engage because the old ways, for the most part, have been put in kind of a a state of suspended animation, if you will. Now, I think the good news is that our sector is pretty adaptable. And some of our data shows that almost 80% of organizations have been innovating, experimenting, finding new ways to deliver their service, engage with donors. And young people are part of that equation. Because I, I often say that I think that this, this, these coming generations have social good in their DNA, and they're very creative about ways they can find to engage. Yeah. Kevin, uh, the last quarter of the year, though, often sees these much higher profile events to raise funds. Uh, How much of an impact on the environment for donation has been hurt by not just the disappearance of those events, but a little bit of the aftermath of them where people really turn their thoughts to these particular charities? Yeah, well, one of the trends that has been evident in the charitable sector for some time is this um, more from fewer that we see that uh, the major gift donors are carrying an increasing proportion of the gifts to the charitable sector. And in fact, that trend is is continuing. And there's a lot of talk about the K-shaped recovery, that those who went into the recession with resources are coming out in some cases with more, and those who went in and vulnerable are coming out with less. We are seeing um, people step up. You know, the great example in in Vancouver was the CBC Food Bank Day that raised over two million dollars, yeah, double was what incredible. they raised the year before. Yeah, um, we're we're seeing at Vancouver Foundation uh, possibly ten uh, percent in in increase in gifts over last year, and a lot of it is coming in in the final quarter because there are people who are recognize that they've been very fortunate, uh, recognize that many of their citizens have not been as lucky and they're responding. But it won't so, make up for all the gap that we lost over the course of the year. So, so Kevin, it, it, of those giving, are they giving more? Um, it's Yeah, it seems so. Well, we it, it, it's interesting. The data is showing that most people are saying they're going to give less. But those, uh, so at, at the aggregate level across the population, the surveys show that people are planning to give less. But we are seeing in some instances that people, their giving in December is up, but their giving over the course of the year may be down because people are recognizing it's my last chance in, in the calendar year to make a gift. There, I really should get, get, get swing into action and make a gift in December. Yeah. Bruce, uh, I want to go back to what you said a little bit earlier with an answer, which is uh, about the... Uh, adaptability of a lot of charities. What kinds of things are charities doing right now in in this period to adapt? Well, I mean, they're doing everything from trying to take what what were formerly in-person special events and create a digital experience. So for example, if they were having a gala dinner where they used to bring, you know, two to 500 people or more together, what they're trying to do now is say, well, why don't you have an in-home gala? Have a nice dinner that you and your partner will take part in, and you'll watch online testimonials and impact videos that are streamed in from the organization and inviting those who were ticket buyers to be contributors. Um, In other cases, they're being really creative. I've been talking to some organizations where even a, a community foundation, and you know, Kevin's obviously part of that movement, has created a funding program whereby charities receive money 
But the condition is that those charities use the money to purchase services from small business. And what they've done is recognize that small business for generations have been wonderful supporters of charities and nonprofits and are in real jeopardy themselves. And they found this creative way of bringing the two together to ensure that the services are provided by the charity, but instead of getting free services from small business, they're actually paying for them and the foundation has done it. So there's just these wonderful examples of creativity that are emerging. And Kevin, pick up on that. What kind of innovation is taking place right in our own backyard here? Well, I I would um, go back to your point about volunteering and then people finding ways to engage online. I was, uh, so Vancouver Foundation runs an event called On the Table, where we have asked people in the province to get together and talk about what matters in their community. And uh, we were, Girl Guides of BC came to us and said, we'd love to create a badge for Girl Guides. They, They can earn the badge if they have a conversation in their community about what matters. And so people are, are, so this is the creativity. They're taking something and using it in ways we never possibly imagined. And 3,000 Girl Guides earned a badge for having a conversation in their community about what matters to them. And that's uh, it's a wonderfully creative way to inv- involve another generation of people in community. And so what we're seeing a lot of interest around are conversations about building social cohesion because a lot of people are convinced that the best way we're going to get out of this pandemic is having a society where people know and trust each other. You know, we've been socially and physically distancing for so long that people are really looking for ways to, um, to connect and being very creative in how they're, uh, the ways that they're going about that. Bruce, there is a, a small paradox here though, isn't there? Where, where uh, the pandemic has, has probably taught all of us uh, about some of the inequity in our society and some of the needs that that weren't necessarily all that evident have become so in, in, in all of this. And yet people are not yet at that stage of translating that into, uh, into greater generosity. What do you think is still holding people back? Well, I mean, the, the survey data that, that we've been uh, looking at clearly says that the economic impact of the pandemic on many people's personal financial situation is that primary factor that's holding them back. But you raise a really interesting point. I, I you know, I'm a hopeful person. I work in the charitable sector. And I think those of us who, who work in that sector do so because we believe in building a better society. If I, if I think of a silver lining in this pandemic cloud, what you just raised is in fact one of those silver linings. The fact that so many people have come into personal first contact, the charitable and nonprofit sector, in a way that affects them personally, affects their family members, their work colleagues, their friends, I believe will have a lasting positive impact on society. So when their means are restored, I I don't believe that people will just forget about that food bank that provided services or, or that mental health organization that helped them when they were struggling with isolation and lockdown. And I think that that will be transformative in the future. Yeah, Kevin, what what do you think? Is our complacency going to end, do you think? Um, Well, there's two two things I think are important to keep in mind. One is that a lot of people are viewing not just charities as the way to have a social, positive social impact. They're concerned about what they eat, what they wear, um, where, where they shop. So we're seeing a lot of a real increase in social conscious uh, purchasing. So often talk to young people about their discretionary dollars and they really view their spending power as they want to spend for good. 
And that uh, sometimes is a donation to a charity, sometimes it's a GoFundMe cause. They're largely agnostic about the vehicle as long as it's the cause um, that applies to them. And so that that's a positive thing. It's a challenge for charities because they're not the, the only way or maybe even the preferred way for people to get engaged. So that's something that, uh, but as a as our society in general, that's a very positive and a very hopeful trend to build on is that people are looking for multiple ways. And then within that, the, um, the, the conversations that we've been part of around addressing um, systemic racism, of addressing inequality, those seem to have gotten um, attention and some longevity, I believe, that we're it's long overdue, but the conversations seem more meaningful and more durable and people aren't going to as as bruce said not going to when this is over they're not going to forget their and because they're and organizations like ours um they really need to make sure that we make some changes that mean that we we won't forget either and that we'll have changed ourselves based on what we know today in ways that uh, affects how we work tomorrow Bruce, uh, I think you and Kevin have both mentioned the idea that you know there was initially a, a pretty solid uh, uh, tranche of, of funds that came toward charities, and then came some federal subsidies that were helpful to the sector and uh, to your operations of, of charities. Uh, tell me a little bit about what your expectations might be now in terms of the next six to 12 months as we as we get vaccines in this country, uh, but as the economy hasn't quite regenerated by virtue of the of the missing dynamic of in-person events and and workplaces, what what kind of sustaining support might there need to be here for the next year uh, from the federal government? Yeah, I, I, it's a great it's a great point, and it's actually one of the big concerns we have. So. Um, Again, our data suggests that uh, you know there's about 2.4 million Canadians who work for charities and nonprofits, and that the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy Program, as a direct intervention, has been incredibly helpful for our sector. Staff who were laid off were either recalled or organizations were able to not have to lay off staff, amongst other measures. Um, and it's interesting as we look forward to 2021, uh, we we're worried about a gap about a gap between either an abrupt end to some of these uh, measures that have really supported the sector and a time when the economy is roaring, which would support our sector. Because there's a, a real link between the health and well-being of the Canadian economy and the health and well-being of charities. That gap is of grave concern because most charities entered the pandemic with little or no reserve. Mm -hmm. And they've spent through a lot of that. And so if the, if the larger that gap, the more in jeopardy the services are. So we hope, and through conversations with the federal government, that they'll continue to understand the situation that we're in. And rather than think about an abrupt end, look at an off-ramp so that we can harmonize the end of those supports with a ramp up of the Canadian economy. Yeah. Kevin, uh, February seems about 5,000 years ago, but but I, my recollection was that we were worried about... Uh, real economic slowdown, that we might be even entering a recession uh, as a country uh, eventually in all of this. Um, it looks like the pandemic has taken something like a seven or 8% hole out of the economy when you finally summarize it all. But that next year, we're expected to get some pretty good growth back. So show me what that bridge looks like here for the next 
next year in terms of what kind of support is necessary in order to sustain the activities and, and leave people in a decent enough position to be able to capitalize when things do come back. Yeah, so that's a, a really good insight because what's been happening in a lot of charities is that as they've been um, surviving, they've been shedding staff, they've been losing access to facilities, they've been losing volunteers. And so there's a kind of a hollowing out of a lot of organizations. And so they're concerned, can they actually be able to, will they be able to rehire those staff or have they gone off and found something else? Uh, and even if they, you know, so there's concern about, can they actually find the people and attract them back to a, a sector when things start to improve? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, that's a, an open question, but what is concrete and can happen is that donors to the sector, whether they're individuals or foundations like us or governments who are in fact the largest funder of many organizations, can really change the way that they fund organizations and move uh, away from projects um, more into core support to identify organizations that do good work and provide them the money and the flexibility to do what they need to do to rebuild and, and maintain their services. So a lot of the, the bridging between this period will, uh, will be helped if funders are more flexible and, um, and, and move more towards uh, trust-based funding of organizations that they know and less around um, you know, strict project funding that sometimes is useful work, but not exactly what the organization requires. Yeah, I'm I'm of a divided mind around uh, around technology. Sometimes, uh, you know, I, I I like the idea of being able to order something online and get it to my get to my place uh, in a day or two. Uh, I get that. On the other hand, I, I worry about what it does to the local business, and then um, and then I'm also a little skittish at times about um, online donation. I realize it's convenient, but I also wonder whether it takes a little bit of the relationship out and to some degree depersonalizes it a little bit. And yet the pandemic appears to have been good in the sense the technology has come along um, to permit people to donate online much more, uh, you know, much more easily. We're, how do we get the other part back? Yeah, well, and it's interesting. I, I think into 2021, as we start to understand the data better, it will be interesting to examine the nature of the donations that have come in online. Are these individuals who used to go to special events recognize they couldn't go to an in-person event? So it's more on the small gift side versus the large gift side. And I'll be curious to see how this lands because you can't beat in person. I mean, there's there's just no doubt about it. That relationship, the ability to, to, to have a back and forth conversation, explain the impact of the mission or cause is just something that you can't replace. Um, and yet it's been, they're actually quite wonderful for the sector to see folks who maybe weren't going to do that impulse donation at a coin box in a, in a, in a kettle at Christmas time or taking a toy to a toy drive who have gone online and now intentionally made a gift. I think, again, the upside there is that there's an opportunity to engage with those donors immediately in a pretty low cost way. And then as in person is restored, start to bring a hybrid together on how that's done. Nice. I want to ask both of you in closing about uh, when and how we'll get back to uh, to something that resembles uh, business as usual, charities as usual, uh, the giving sector as usual. Uh, Kevin, we, what does it take? Is it simply the vaccine or more more beyond that? 
That's a great question. Um, yeah, the, the challenges of forecasting at the end of the year. I think um, many charities have really found that the most important thing for them to do is identify their purpose and make sure that that's clear what their purpose is and so that they'll attract support and supporters that align to that purpose. And that, um, and, and I think charities have, have found throughout this pandemic that if you're able to do that, um, you've, you've honed your messaging and you've honed your capacity to, to find supporters. And I, and I think the sector is, is well-placed to do that. Their uh, purpose, working for purpose in the sector has never been more important and more visible than it is now. So I, I think it's for the, the sector to get back to, uh, you're, you're going to see, I think, an increased focus on, on purpose. And, and so if you think of the, the, the cancer charities as an example and the health charities who really um, took a significant uh, loss of income because of the event-based approach, but when they've started to focus their messaging on the essential research that is no longer being funded because of the lack of donation revenue, people are coming back and saying, oh, because that's actually the reason why I supported you in the first place. So it, they're getting past the message of the event as the fundraiser and back to the core purpose. And I think that's resonating with people in ways that is, is very authentic. Nice. Bruce? Well, you know, one of the things that we're, we're kind of keeping an eye on is in, and I, and Kevin had alluded to it earlier, is this surge in demand for services. So early on in the pandemic, 35% of organizations across the country reported that they'd seen an increase in demand. That's risen to 46%. And so now almost half of charities are saying that more Canadians are coming to them needing service. So as we think about going into 2021, I think we need to look at both sides of the equation, not just what does this mean for organizations as they seek to find whatever this new normal is um, from a, a, an operation, a revenue generation standpoint, but what is also going to happen with demand? Mm -hmm. How long is it going to take post-vaccine for demand to return to potential you know, levels that were, were, were more predictable before the pandemic? Because I think that's one of the challenges for our sector. It's a double whammy. It's not just about worrisome or softness in a relationship to donations, particularly in the, hol uh, the holiday period. It's about organizations also trying to fulfill increased demand for the people in their communities. Um, I'm hopeful that you know the continued innovation of the sector will allow us to do that. But I think that this, um, as we go forward, this link to the economy is crucial both for the demand and the supply side. Does it worry you at all though, Bruce, that, that in, in the pandemic, we now have a clearer picture of our country and its needs and that, uh, and that essentially it is going to continue to be the job of the charities to take care of many of these new needs? Um, yes and no, all at the same time. So I do worry about the health and well-being of the sector, but because more Canadians, those who are in small and medium-sized enterprise, big business, and those in government now understand the importance of all three sectors working together so that we've got strong communities, that that can only be good news for our society going forward. Yeah, and Kevin, uh, in as much as it was referred to as a silver lining, does at least the illumination of our condition um, give us at least a bit of a roadmap on where we have to go? 
Yeah, and the thing I would uh, note too is with the recent appointment of uh, Nikki Sharma as uh, uh, Parliamentary Secretary for Community Development and Nonprofits, there's now a, a clear window and an avenue to talk to government about um, what the sector is learning because that we're seeing frontline agencies um, with deep knowledge of what's happening in their community and some really good ideas on how to address them. And so we're quite optimistic that we can take that knowledge that the sector has generated through its decades of experience and uh, present that to, to a government that said they want to listen. So we're, we're quite optimistic that that's, uh, we're certainly going to uh, knock on the door and, and engage in a conversation every chance we get. Well, I hope that everybody who stayed with us during our discussion will uh, then uh, immediately go online, find uh, a place to support and do it uh, here before the end of the year. I want to thank both of you for your time today and for your uh, generosity and, uh, and commitment to the sector. Bruce McDonald is the president and CEO of Imagine Canada and Kevin McCourt is president and CEO of the Vancouver Foundation. Stay well and safe, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. You've been watching BIV Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. We'll see you again.